12, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll try to get through this chapter tonight. The first few verses are going to take a little bit more time because we have some references to run after that. It should move fairly quickly, but um, again, we can since we're going verse by verse and just teaching, we can kind of cut it off uh, wherever we need to. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse number 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Uh, Let's pray and then we'll start uh, diving in here. Father, we love you tonight and I thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. Thank you for these folks that uh, came to church anyways, even though it's a little bit of a a gloomy Wednesday night and uh, sitting on the couch, I'm sure, sounded good to everybody. But they made the effort to get out here tonight anyhow. So I pray you'd bless them for that. And I pray you'd speak to our hearts tonight and give us from the Bible what it is we need to help us and strengthen us in our Walk with Jesus Christ, draw us closer to you, and teach us your words, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now Paul stops um, glorying in the flesh from chapter 11, and he switches now to glorying in the things that God showed him. Uh, He's glorying in some stuff that he learned from God as he gets into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And you'll notice Paul resents it, like we pointed out repeatedly last week. Paul resents being in this position where he has to brag about his credentials to the Corinthian church. He thinks it's foolish. He called it foolish repeatedly. And then he says in verse number one, it's not expedient for me doubtless to glory. He's upset. He's frustrated that he has to do this. But don't forget the reason he's doing it is because some false teachers had come into that local assembly and had begun attacking Paul and Paul's ministry and undermining Paul's ministry and bragging about their own credentials so much that the people had begun to kind of take after these guys And so Paul's kind of coming after them the same way that these false teachers came after him. And he's saying, if you guys think so much of the flesh, then let's look at the flesh. If you guys think so much of these guys' education and whatever else it is about these false teachers that latched onto you, then I'll brag about my credentials. And he's doing it through gritted teeth. He resents the fact that he has to do this, but he's doing it because he cares about them and he loves them and he doesn't want that false doctrine coming in there and wrecking that church. He says in verse number one, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. Well, expedient means to get you down the road quicker. Remember what Jesus said about the comforter? He said, it is expedient for you that I go away for if I go out away, the comforter will not come. That's in the book of John. I think it's chapter 16 or something like that. What you're saying is to get to the goal in your life, the best thing for me to do is for me to go so the indwelling spirit of God can come and indwell you and he'll get you where you need to go. So Paul is saying it's not expedient. This doesn't get me where I need to go when I glory. It doubtless, it, it, it's not expedient for me doubtless to glory. Look at Galatians chapter 6. I'll show you for sure that Paul is resentful of this. And he's preaching this message through gritted teeth and aggravated with uh, the Corinthians. And proof of it is in Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse 14. He says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul had a proper view of himself. Paul had a proper view of flesh. Paul had a proper view of men. And Paul realized that there really was no point in glorying in anything other than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to focus on Jesus Christ, but since these Corinthians were so carnal and they were so easily drawn away by the, whatever it was, the allure of the flesh or the allure of education or, or the personalities of men, Paul's fighting fire with fire And he's showing them, like, look, all the stuff you think is so much better about those guys, I've got the same credentials. And I've never used my credentials to control you, to burden you, to get after your money. I've I've taken everything that I am and poured it into trying to help you draw closer to Jesus Christ. I'm not playing the shenanigans the other brethren are playing. I'm not in the good old boys club. I don't run in those circles. I don't care about those circles. I am not in this for myself. Since you like people so much, let's talk about it. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now watch this. Watch the way he lays this out, because Paul is clearly talking about himself here. He says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. 
Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, now pause real quick. When Paul begins to brag about visions and revelations of the Lord, he's telling them, listen, I've seen some things and I've had some things revealed to me that goes above and beyond all the other guys and all the other information that they got. He was, he was basically the, the brilliant Bible scholar, the brains of his day. As compared to the other apostles, Paul far outshone them in his walk with the Lord in the sense of having that inside scoop, revelations other guys didn't get. Now, here's what's important for you to grab a hold of. What a lot of critics will say is this, when you point out to them that uh, most all these religions, you take a man's word for it, all right, like, like uh, the Mormons. You take Joseph Smith's word for the fact that he got the truth and then he pens it down. Uh, Muhammad, the prophet of Allah. You take a man's word for it that he saw what he saw, got revealed to him what was revealed to him, and you have to trust this one man and follow him blindly. So what happens then is people kick that back in your face and they say, well, when it comes to a Bible, you guys blindly follow Paul and he had visions and revelations from God that nobody else had seen yet. Okay, yes and no. Right? How does the devil work the best? He takes this much truth and wraps it in with a lie. So there's this much truth to that statement. Here's the difference. When Paul got all that he got, nobody just bowed at Paul's feet and followed Paul based on only what Paul saw, only what was revealed to Paul, only what Paul wrote. There were checks and balances in place where the other apostles and Paul had some debate go back and forth between them. They're comparing that stuff to the Old Testament scriptures, to the prophets, to the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as these things all get compared and all that discussion and debate goes on, then all the other apostles get on board and they're saying, yeah, like our brother, beloved brother Paul said, and they're writing their books and it's all going together hand in glove. So you don't just have one guy that you follow based on that one guy's drug trip or whatever it was that happened to him when he got something from some angel and wrote some stuff down. You following me? That's apples and oranges to what's happening here in the Word of God and what God did with the Apostle Paul. God showed him some things. Go back to Acts chapter 14. This is when this thing happened. Acts chapter 14. <clears throat> Look at verse 19. Acts 14, 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And they preached the gospel of that city, and had taught many. They returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. What a trip, man. They stone Paul and, and drug him out of the city. He's, he's a lifeless body. They're dragging outside of the city and they're dumping him there and leaving him for dead. And the disciples are standing around about this bloody, battered, beat up body that had been stoned to death and they're looking at him. And all of a sudden, God says, I'm not done, boy, now go on back. And he... <laughs> Starts breathing, <coughs> coughing, probably blood coming out of his mouth. The whole nine yards, busted nose, busted eye sockets, the whole nine teeth busted out. I mean, think about it. They stoned him to death. You understand what that was in that day and how brutal that was? And he gets it. Hey, guys, let's go preach. <laughs> Goes right back into the city. This is a guy that when he got caught up, he said, man, I... I, don't, I have a desire to depart and to be with God, but it's more needful for you. I'm staying here because I, you need me and God wants me here for you. But once he saw some of the stuff he saw when he died, when he got killed and came back to life, when he saw what he saw, he didn't want to come back. Look, look at something about Paul. He's such a great character. Go to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Talking about visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 12... 
He's talking about this time that he died and got caught up into paradise and saw some things that he can't utter. But in Galatians chapter 1, it'll show you how Paul got trained after he'd already been sitting at the feet of Gamaliel and knew the law and was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and had the Old Testament mastered. Where did Paul get the New Testament mystery of the bride of Christ? Galatians chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 13. For you've heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So look at what he said there. When it just comes to the flesh, when it just comes to success in life, he said, I profited above many my equals. Paul was the star of the show, man. Paul was the head of his class. Paul was a, 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 out in front of all the other guys that were wanting to do what he was doing. This is a brilliant man. Uh, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the number one teachers in Israel at that time. He's an absolutely brilliant individual. And what's happened is these, these tricksters came into the church and says, ah, oh, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Paul's an idiot. Paul's in it for himself. Paul's a moron. Paul's this, Paul's that. He can't speak. He doesn't carry himself well. His letters are weighty and powerful, but when he comes in his presence, he ain't going to back it up. And they're undermining Paul and criticizing him and cutting him down. Paul had never bragged about his potential or his credentials to that church. He hadn't put himself out in front. So they're taking the bait. Paul's got an unbelievable list of credentials before he was saved. So what happens is, verse 15, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately, this is right after Jesus Christ appears to him on the road to, to, to Damascus, right? Quite a revelation, <laughs> That, that bright light that knocks him off a horse and blinds his eyes. He, he's literally almost blind. That's why he told the one church, I know that you would pluck out your eyes and give them to me. That's your hint right there that his problem, the thorn in his flesh, was his eyesight. He said, how, see how large a letter I've written unto you. Well, it's funny that he said, see how large a letter I've written unto you. And it was one of his shortest letters. He's talking about writing in big letters. He couldn't see. He wrote it by his own hand. If you ever notice, somebody's always writing when Paul would speak. They'd transcribe it and they'd sign off and they'd put their name in the bottom of the letter. Ain't that interesting? Paul's problem was he was blinded. His eyes he couldn't hardly see. So God has shows himself to Paul in a special way. And he says the first thing that he did is he immediately conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So what did he do? He went to the same place where Moses had gotten the Ten Commandments. How long was he there? Look at verse 18. Then after three years I preached, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. He spent three years learning from Jesus Christ himself, learning from God himself. He got some stuff revealed to him. Before he goes and discusses with the other apostles. That's why a good Bible institute's usually about three years. That's a biblical model for you. How long did the disciples spend with Jesus Christ? How long did Paul spend in training and learning his Bible before he got let loose? Three years. Uh, but now the other apostles saw a none save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, unto you, behold before God I lie not. So Paul had gotten some wisdom and revelation from God that goes above and beyond what all the other preachers had gotten. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It went above and beyond what all the other guys had gotten, and yet there's checks and balances with it, like I said already. So yes, Paul is our apostle. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. We go to Paul's books when we want to know what part of the Bible applies to us, right? Okay, so Paul's the one that teaches you that you're eternally secure, that you're sealed under the day of redemption. Well, you go to Matthew's books and he tells you you have to endure to the end or you lose your salvation. Matthew tells you if you don't forgive men uh, their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive yours. But Paul says you're eternally secured. Where do you go for your doctrine? He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul is our apostle. So he's the one that God gave these, these revelations to. 
He had gotten, gotten revelations and, and knowledge from God that other guys didn't yet see, but once Paul got them and preached them, the, as the other guys are looking and they're talking about this stuff, they're hashing this stuff all the way out into Acts chapter 15. They're trying to figure it all out. So it does wind up going hand in glove. He agrees with the other apostles, but I'm telling you, he was out in front of them when it came to the revelations that God was giving regarding specifically the church age. The mystery of the church, the bride of Christ, the one body. So he's, he's, he's getting to go into these visions and revelations of the Lord. And then when he talks about himself, he says, I knew a man. <laughs> he absolutely cannot take it. Instead of saying, listen to what happened to me. He starts referring to himself in the third person. There's no lie in that. He, did, he knew himself, right? But he's saying, I knew a man. Paul cannot stand being pushed in a position where he has to brag about himself. And he's saying, above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one was caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. He repeats it twice. It's not because he was, you know, had Alzheimer's or something and forgot he said it. He repeats it twice because it was like, this is how I personally see it, okay? Either way, God had him repeat it twice so you and I don't miss it. When God repeats himself, you should listen. Jesus used to say, verily, verily, right? So when he's trying to tell you something and repeats it, you ought to pay attention. He's saying, I could not tell if I was in my body or not. You know why that's super cool? Because when you and I think of heaven, we don't know what it would be like, right? right? It's going to be as real, if not more real, than what you're feeling right now, according to that passage. He said, I couldn't tell if I was in the body or out of the body. God knows. He didn't know if God caught his body up with him or if his body stayed. But either way, that thing was so real, Paul could not tell the difference. I have a feeling that when we get there, since it says death is swallowed up in victory, I have a feeling that when we get to heaven, that's going to be more real than this. I feel like the human life in a sinful body where you have to lay down and go to sleep eventually. I mean, some of you don't, don't figure that out, but you do need to sleep. Your body needs sleep. You understand that? You're going to be in such a state of constant alertness, constant awareness, no need to sleep. I got a feeling that when we look back at this life, this thing's going to feel like a dream as compared to how real it is to be there. So if you're just, you're, you're all wrapped up in the things of this world, you really need to shake yourself out of it and realize there's something a whole lot greater than all this waiting for us. Notice something else. He says um, in verse number two, caught up into the third heaven. You see that? So it's important for you to understand there's three heavens. The first heaven is where the birds fly. It's the firmament right here around the earth, right? The second heaven is outer space. That's where the sun, moon, and stars is at. The galaxies. The third heaven is where God dwells. There's three heavens. He said, I was caught up into the third heaven. There's other stuff out there. The principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Have you ever looked up on NASA's website anything about dark matter? <laughs> that's what's out there. And folks, they can't figure it out. They, can't, they cannot figure it out. I'll tell you there's stuff out there, but you don't need to be messing with it. And the third heaven's where God dwells. Look at verse 4, how he, that he was caught up into paradise. You see that? And heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, notice where paradise is at this point. It's in the third heaven, right? Go back to Revelation chapter 2. It's important to understand this stuff. Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 7. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh. Will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Look at Revelation, uh, go back to, uh, no, go back to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. 
Look at verse uh, number 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now watch it. And in hell... He lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let him hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now that's a very interesting story in this. In the Old Testament, when they died and they they were saved, okay? Saved, quote unquote. When they died in obedience to God and in obedience to what God told them to do, they went into the heart of the earth. Not the people in hell. People that died not obeying God went to hell. People that died trying to do right went to what's called Abraham's bosom. When you and I die, we go straight to heaven. Okay? In the New Testament, after the blood of Jesus Christ has been shed. But in that Old Testament, when those people died, they went down. And if they had done right, they wound up in Abraham's bosom. If they'd done wrong, they went into hell. Both were in the center of the earth at that time. And the Bible told us in this passage that between them, there's a great gulf fixed, right? So that you can't pass from one side to the other. And this guy, the guy that's in hell, he's saying, listen, Father Abraham, send somebody back from the dead to tell my family. If you can't give me just a drop of water, that's all I want, a drop of water to cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. He said, can't do it. There's, there's no relief for you. Once you're there, you're there for good and there's no relief. He says, okay, Father Abraham, then send somebody back to tell my family because if somebody rises from the dead and goes and knocks on my family member's door and, and there's smoke coming out of their mouth and their eyes are alive, they look like some kind of a zombie or something and they're, they're half melting away and they say, listen, trust Jesus as your Savior. Don't go. They'll surely get saved. He said, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets were long dead when Luke 16 was being written. How did they have Moses and the prophets? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the... Oh, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God. He said, let them hear them. If they won't be persuaded by the Bible, they won't be persuaded by somebody coming back from hell knocking on their door. And the same goes for you. If you won't listen to the word of God, you won't listen to any kind of miracle out there. Same goes for the tribulation period. If they won't listen to the preaching, nothing else is going to get them. They're going to curse God because the sun scorched them. They're going to shake their fist at heaven when they're seeing God's judgment being poured out. And the funny thing is they shake their fist at God. They know it's God and they get mad at him anyways. They don't get right. So what you had here is in the Old Testament, these souls went to Abraham's bosom. They didn't go to heaven. Now here's the problem that people pick up with us when we say in the Old Testament they were not saved by looking forward to the cross no matter what some jack-leg preacher told you. You cannot find that in the Bible. David said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Paul said, you're sealed under the day of redemption. He said, if you deny him, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself, and you're his body and you're his bride if you're born again. You cannot make Old Testament salvation equal New Testament salvation unless you pervert the Bible. You can't do it. 
So, so they were not saved in the Old Testament looking forward to the cross. It says they didn't know or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So don't give me this garbage that they were, you know, sacrificing that lamb, and this is a type of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God coming to take away the sin. But John the Baptist came preaching it, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and they crucified him. They didn't get it, man. They did not get it. They were saved back there under different systems. There was salvation happening before the law. When I say salvation, I mean not ending up in hell when they died. When Jesus Christ died, you know what he did? You ever read the, 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 what the gospel is? It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, right? When it's spelled out for you in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it is, it's what? It's that he descended first. It's three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Why is that part of the gospel? You know what he did? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. He says back in Psalms, a prophecy of Jesus Christ, thou shalt not suffer my soul to stay in hell. Look at Ephesians 4. Look at verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So he's saying... If, if Jesus Christ came up from the dead and ascended through outer space into the third heaven, through the sea of glass that's at the top of outer space, just so you know, scientists haven't found it yet, but if they ever get smart enough to find it, what they're going to find at the top of outer space, at the top of all the galaxies, they're going to find a sea of glass. It's frozen. It's absolute zero. It's water that God divided the waters from the waters in Genesis chapter 1 when he recreated this thing after he drowned it when Satan rebelled. And he divided the waters from the water, and what you got when you get to the top is a sea of glass. And there's a door to that thing. And his name is Jesus Christ. So if, it's, if, he, could, if he could come from the earth straight out, how many billions of light years out through outer space and go through the sea of glass into the third heaven, it ain't a big deal for him to descend first into the lower parts of the earth. That, that's nothing. That's a much shorter journey than getting all the way to the third heaven. And what is it but that he descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. So here's what happened. We got a lot more references we could run, but we're not going to tonight for the sake of time. What does Jesus Christ have the keys of? In Revelation chapter 1, I think it's verse 8. He's got the keys of death and hell hanging on his girdle. You know what he did? Well, he was, they, they crucified him. He died. They buried him. He went down. He unlocks hell, steps into hell, locks the door behind him, preaches to the damned souls, exits out the side of hell, locks the door behind him, passes over the great gulf, enters into death. That's those Old Testament folks that died before his blood was shed. They weren't going to heaven. Jackleg preacher that says that we believe that people get to heaven without the blood of Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know your Bible. Nobody ever said that. We said they went to Abraham's bosom. We never said they went to heaven. He unlocks the door, goes in there, preaches. He takes paradise that's there up with him. He takes all those Old Testament saints up. You know where paradise is at now? Paul just told you in 2 Corinthians 12. It's in the third heaven. He gets caught up there. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So he's got those keys hanging on him in Revelation chapter 1. We saw a few weeks ago going through Revelation. What a, what a Savior, man. What a, powerful, what a powerful being. He could go in there, put your sins in hell eternally, exit out the other side, jump over that great gulf no man can pass over, go into Abraham's bosom, preach to those souls, and explain to them those sacrifices, explain to them Noah's Ark, explain to them what he was doing throughout the dispensations in the Old Testament, and say, this is what you were doing. Now, here's what I've done. Do you see it? And they all saw it. And then he took them up. What a blessing, man. 
So Paul gets caught up here and he hears, he sees these things and he says in verse 4, heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now wait a minute. What's up with these jacklegs on TV trying to tell you that they're praying in a heavenly language? Speaking in a heavenly language. He said, when I heard those words up there, it's not lawful for me to utter them. So what are you doing talking in a heavenly language down here? How come nobody sees that when they read through here? Ain't that interesting? Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Now, possibly he's speaking of glorying in Jesus Christ. Of such an one will I glory the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It looks like in context, he's talking about the glorified state. So if he's talking about himself in verse number 5, of such an one will I glory, of this man that, that a certain man I know... <laughs> What he's saying is, I saw him once he was perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So either way, Jesus Christ is the point of the glory. Does that make sense? Verse number 6. For though I would desire to glory, I should not be a fool. I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Now, it's interesting to me, he says, for though I would desire to glory... I should not be a fool. Seems to me like he's as human as you and I are. Really hard for somebody to come in and start bragging about themselves and not want to brag about yourself. Not want to tell them how great you are, all your great achievements, all your great accomplishments, what you know, what you've learned, what you've done. You know, get into those little debates in church, you know, see who knows their Bible better, all that kind of stuff. Paul said, for though I would, desire, I would desire to glory, I should not be a fool. He said, when I start glorying in myself, I, that, that makes me an idiot. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man think of me above that which he seeth me to be or heareth of me. What did they hear of Paul? His bodily presence was weak, his speech was contemptible. He could write big tough letters, but in person he's going to be a chicken, he ain't going to back it up. He said, what do you see when you look at me? A crippled up, beat up guy much older than my age. That's what you see. My bodily presence is weak. My speech is contemptible. When I talk, I'm not the most interesting person in the room. These other guys come in here and can out-preach me, out-talk me, get way more laughs, way better illustrations. Look at me and look at what you're seeing. Don't think of me above what you see or what you hear. Why? Because Paul realizes what Paul is. This, see, this is the kind of guy I want to follow. This is the kind of guy, I'm like, okay, the Lord probably did show him some things. Notice about him, he's not telling everybody everything he knows. Maybe that's why God trusted him with some advanced revelation, with some things that God didn't trust anybody else with. Maybe that's why God put him in the position God put him in, because God knew that when God gave him these things, he was, God could show him some things he didn't tell anybody. I wonder if sometimes God can show you something that you just keep between you and God because God gave it to you. It's not for everybody else. Can't you learn some things and just keep it to yourself? Or do you have to tell everybody everything you know all the time? Not Paul. He said, I got some things I'd like to tell you, but I'm not going to tell you. Why? Because they're between me and God. It's not lawful for me to utter them. Brother Lynch used to say, never give out the last half of your canteen. A Vietnam vet, you know, been in the jungles over there. And, you know, you want to help your brother out, but don't give out the last half of your canteen. You ever stop and think about that? Sometimes we say too much. Sometimes a new Christian comes along and we start wanting to push them, you know, push them, push them to, you know, make sure that they just get all these things right when we see things that they don't even realize is on, that's not even on their radar yet. And you start wanting to push them. Well, maybe you should just back off and let them grow. Maybe you don't need to tell them everything you think they need to hear. Paul didn't. That's why God trusted him with stuff. Look at verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure. Why? Because God gave him so much revelations and visions. And God used him so greatly. Think crazy things happened to him. God got him through it all. What a powerful man when it comes to serving God. I mean, what a powerful man. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I already pointed out to you that that was more than likely his eyes. 
the messenger of Satan to buffet me, to box my ears, to slap me around, lest I should be exalted above measure. (laughs) Now look at that for a minute. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. What was God's answer? God said no. He's begging God three times. God, please take this problem away from me. And God said, no, I'm leaving that problem in your life and I'm not changing it. (laughs) And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What's Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Now, now, let me just ask you a question. You got any problems? You got particular problems you really want God to fix? What if God tells you no? I've got one or two just like that. Let me tell you something about the devil and how he works. He knows how, when, and where to push your buttons. He knows exactly, he, he is the master of timing. Any good fighter gets a sense, a natural instinctive sense of timing. You got to master timing. And the devil is an excellent strategician. He's an excellent fighter. His timing is impeccable. He knows right when to grab that thorn and twist it. And boy, it'll come from the weirdest places. And it'll come at the craziest times. I'm just speaking by my personal experience. I'll be clicking along, having a great day. And they're the weirdest ways, the thorn that, that one of the thorns in my life gets twisted has nothing even to do with me, completely out of my control. And some Yahoo will walk up and say something. And you know what? I'm sure they're always well-meaning. I'm sure sometimes they don't even have a clue what they're saying. And boy, that anger. Boy, that frustration, that bitterness, that irritation. You know what Paul said? Ah, there it is again. What a blessing. That's what he said. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. You all want me to talk about my credentials, but I don't want to. Let's talk about my pain. Why? Because he said that that the power of Christ might rest. God said, Paul, you need that because that keeps your head down. And when you keep your head down, you don't get it blown off. Because if you stick your head up at the wrong time in a battle, guess what happens to your head? Yeah, it gets blown off. So you got to keep your head down. Brother Lentz always said it best. He said the greatest warriors walk with their heads down. I think it's an old Asian thing. Paul said, this is God's way of keeping my heads down, and it's the devil's way of trying to make me bitter. Haven't I told you before, God and the devil work so closely together, sometimes you can't tell the difference? Guess what? How do I know when it's God or the devil? It doesn't matter. Don't even even ask that question. Who cares? Is it God doing this to me, or is it the devil doing this to me? As 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 long as you're not in rebellion against God, and he's not disciplining you for something... And if he is, you know it. Because he's already told you to do something and you won't do it. He doesn't just walk up and randomly beat his kids for fun without telling them what they did wrong. Usually he's told you a few hundred times before he starts cranking it up. So it doesn't matter if it's God or the devil. What matters is your response to it. Well, you say, God, if this is what you want for me, then great. You know better than I know for my own life. And I just don't understand you sometimes. I actually told the Lord that within the last 24 hours, I said, I don't get you. That makes no sense. I don't know why you did that. And I'm sorry, because I'm sure you're right, so thanks. Because in the middle of it, he's like, are you talking to me like that? Because I think I kind of was starting out kind of the wrong way. And I had to say, God, you're God. I'm not God. And you know stuff I don't know. And so guess what? Thank you. Why? Because I'd rather have the power of Christ rest upon me than anything else in the world. 
than anything else in the world. I want, I want the Lord's life in my life. Verse 10, Therefore I take pleasures, pleasure in infirmities. <laughs> and I'm sick. Infirmary? Ever heard of an infirmary? In infirmities. In reproaches. You ever been mocked and made fun of? Treated like you're stupid because you're a Christian? In necessities. Not had your needs met. In persecutions. In distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And that's the problem with too many Christians today. Way too strong. Just, just, just think way too much of yourself. I'm become a fool in glorying. He's angry. Ye have compelled me. He put the blame on him. He said, I had to do it because of the way you're pushing me to do it. For I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So what he's saying is, I'm doing this glorying, and I become a fool in it. I'm an idiot. I, I don't like this. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have had to do this. You know what's bizarre to me? Every single thing that he has said, I have read to you from the inerrant, infallible, inspired words of God. He is foolishly and inexpediently boasting in himself and feels very bad about it. And yet it is God the Holy Spirit that is leading him to say everything he's saying. My, my preacher said this to me and I haven't forgotten it. He said, sometimes you will do exactly what God wants you to do. It was 100% the right thing to do. And you will feel terrible about it the entire time. I didn't say guilty, conscience, guilty, conscience. But you will just feel like, man, I just didn't want to do that. Am I even okay? Was that even right? And you'd start self-doubt and all the rest of that stuff. And he said, you'll be doing exactly what God wants you to do and everything about it feels wrong. I didn't say sinful. That's what Paul's doing. Paul is not coming across to them from a spirit of, look at me. Here's my credentials. Y'all need to follow me and forget those guys. That guy's an idiot and that guy's an idiot. Paul is doing what he has to do to get their attention. And God's saying, yes, Paul, do this. Tell them the facts about yourself. Tell them the facts about your credentials. Tell them a little bit of what I showed you. Just give them a taste for it, Paul. Go ahead. Just do it. And Paul's aggravated. He's like, you put me in this position. And I didn't want to do it. He said, I should have been commended of you. He led him to Christ. He taught him. He said, you all should have defended me already. When those yahoos came into this church, you should have thrown them out. We know what God's done with our preacher. We know who he is. We know his life. We know his ministry. You hit the road, Jack. Get out of here. That's what he's saying. That's what they should have done. And he said, for I'm nothing behind the very chiefest apostles. The guys you really think are the greatest. I'm not behind any of those guys. When I went toe-to-toe with them, I rebuked Peter because he was wrong. I stood him to the face. And I was right. I'm not behind those other guys, but I'm nothing. So guess what that means? We're all nothing. (laughs) That's exactly what that means. Don't, don't, listen, I think it's great when people look up to a preacher. I think it's wonderful it's, if, I'd rather him look up to a guy that loves Jesus Christ and is trying to do right than look up to some stupid movie star or football player or some perverted fornicator, drunkard, dopehead. Okay? But don't ever get out of balance on that stuff. Don't ever start hero worshiping a man. We're here for Jesus Christ. And don't ever forget that. Paul's saying, I'm nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And Paul had them. But for the sake of time, we won't turn there. But he said, Trophimus, have I left him? I lead him sick. So guess what happened to the signs of an apostle when the Jews rejected? Paul didn't have them anymore. Why would he have let Trophimus and Miletus sick if he still had the power to heal them? He did at one point, and it was gone now. God ain't working that way anymore. But the signs were wrought among them. They had seen it. Verse 13, for what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. He's being sarcastic. How were they inferior to other churches? The only way is they didn't support him financially. Remember, we talked about that already. 
And then he said, forgive me this wrong. And you know it's sarcasm because look at verse 14. Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you for I seek not yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents but the parents for the children. So when he said, forgive me this wrong that I wouldn't take your money, he's being sarcastic because he said, and when I come back, I'm not taking your money again. So he wasn't saying, I was really wrong and I really should have took your money. He was saying, forgive me this wrong. Where were you inferior? You're the richest church and you didn't support me, but the other Macedonian churches did. And the first time I came, I worked with my own hands. The second time I came, Macedonia said to meet my needs and they're broke. And you people got money as he already went through in 2 Corinthians, and you won't give. And he said, when I come back, I ain't taking your money again because I want you to know, rich people, that I don't care about your stinking money. I'm not seeking yours, but you. I want your heart. I want you to fall in love with Jesus Christ. I want you to learn your Bible. I want you to grow in the Lord. I want you to follow God. That's one of the things I like the most about being able to say about my ministry is in 15 years, 15 and a half now, but who's counting? Never one time have we passed an offering plate. Never one time have we done a financial seminar. Never one time have we preached on tithing or giving. We've taught on it as we come across it when we go through the Bible. But that was, wouldn't even have been my timing. It's like, Lord, we're on a Wednesday night. Most all these people probably do. We should do this on a Sunday morning, you know? When everybody's here, and the Lord's like, just leave it up to me. And you know what? I, I think it's great. Why? Because you know one thing for sure. I ain't after your money. And by the grace of God, even though now we're going to start making this payment and all the rest of that stuff, I ain't changing. If God's in it, God will provide for it. And I'm confident in that. If God gets your heart, he'll get your wallet. Uh, verse 15, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I think that is one of the greatest verses in the Bible regarding the ministry. If you're called to preach and you think God wants you in the ministry, that's a verse you should memorize. I will very gladly spend and be spent. That means exhaust myself. Waste what I got. Wear myself out for you. That is the heart of a true pastor. That is the heart of real ministry. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Have you ever noticed some of the most spoiled brats in the world love the least? You ever see a kid that just their parents just dote all over them? You never hear a stinking brat like that ever turn around and say thank you. You never hear that stinking brat go out of their way to be a blessing to their parents. But the ones you, the ones you ignore, you know, tend to love you. <laughs> tend to love Jesus. Some of the people I've gone the most out of my way to try to help, just... And some of the other people that you just don't, don't really, they don't really ask for much attention and you don't really give them much because they're not asking for it. They just love the Lord more and love the preacher more and love the church more as time goes on. Ain't that wild? He said, the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. It's weird. But whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they do, how they do or do not react. The job of a minister is just a minister, period. Verse 16, but be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. What he's saying is, I, I, didn't, I didn't come in there and pressure you. I caught you with guile. In context, he's saying, when have I ever asked for your money? Oh, these other guys are wanting your offerings? These guys are coming here teaching you their doctrine, trying to draw away disciples after. They, want, why did they, they asked you for an offering. When did I ask you for an offering? You saw me making tents. When did I ask you for an offering? You saw Macedonia paying my bills. What's wrong? Gotcha. See that? He set them up for their own benefit, not for his. Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? See how he's talking about money? He said, when I sent my guys, did my guys come and bring, get an offering from you? 
I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walk we not in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same steps? So he said, the guys that came in my name, didn't they have the same spirit I got? Or did they try to profit off you? Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you? We speak before God and Christ, but we do all things dearly beloved for your edifying. So what he's saying is, you think that I'm saying all this stuff to defend myself? I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm speaking before God and Christ and what I'm doing, dearly beloved, is I'm trying to edify and help you. For I fear lest when I come I should find you such as I would, uh, such as I would and that I should be found of you, that I should be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. And boy, that right there is the vast majority of modern day churches. Debating all the time. If it ain't over the color of the carpet and the curtains, it's over doctrines, it's over money. And, and envyings. Oh, did you see their car? Another new dress, all that kind of garbage. It wouldn't even bother you if somebody got a new dress if you weren't so covetous. You hide it behind, well, we can't afford it. No, you're covetous. Amen. And people that, that you're jealous of probably outgive you and can't. Just saying. Uh, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings. Man, we're in a backbiting church. Man, it's a miserable place to be. Talking about each other behind your back. Whisperings. Swellings and tumults. That's actually, I've, I've seen them. I've seen them in church. I've seen them in business meetings. Tumults. That's like a riot. Like getting like that out of control, jumping up, yelling at each other. Swellings. I've seen it in church. My first church, a fist fight almost broke out. Broke out. Like literally. One guy was getting out of his pew yelling at me and the other guy jumped in his way and said, I'm going to beat your head in, old man. <laughs> The one guy was defending me. The other guy wanted to beat me up in church. Not good, man. Verse 21. Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you. Why? That I should bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. What he's saying is, I I don't want to get there and be embarrassed at the kind of people you are. Let me say this, some men's sins go before in a judgment, some men's they follow after, but sooner or later, every one of us will give account of himself to God. And sooner or later, we're all going to get found out. Every last one of us is going to get found out. If not in this lifetime, then at the judgment seat of Christ for sure. So Paul's bragging here about visions and revelations, kind of a negative a negative way to end, but that's where the chapter ends, so we'll stop there for tonight. But he's bragging about that stuff, not to try to prop himself up and make himself look good, but to show them, listen, folks, you had the truth. I brought you the truth. Now stay with the truth and don't get drug away by all these other yahoos. Now let me say it in modern terms. On the Internet and everything else, if you can't validate the individual... Paul said, I should have been commended of you. If you can't validate the individual, let these also first be proved. How? By watching their life, by seeing their track record, then you better be really careful about jumping on board with their doctrine because you don't really know who you're following. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed.